Mina is a global business and career trainer who has worked on both sides of the hiring process. Today, she'll be speaking from her experience hiring across all departments for industry-leading life sciences companies uh, such as Genetech and Roche, Amgen, BioRad, and more. So welcome, Mina. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Kathy. It's been, um, I mean, it's unspeakable to say how much of a pleasure it's been to work with the Cheeky Scientists Association and very excited to help out everyone and answer questions that I see coming up constantly. <laughs> so very excited yeah. to be here. Exactly. Well, I um, announced that you were coming last week and there was a flurry of activity in the private group with questions. So I, I want to to dive right in and answer everyone's questions, but I thought to start, we could take a step back and start with the process in general, and then mm -hmm. we can dive into everyone's questions kind of as a means of, of troubleshooting, let's say. Absolutely. So um, I thought a good place to start was to just talk about uh, the overview of the recruiting process, and um, maybe you can give us a bit of an idea behind that and the uh, types of recruiters that maybe an associate will come in contact with during the recruiting process. That's a great starting point. Um, I'm a firm believer that you can't navigate a process if you're not familiar with the process. And many individuals that I come across on the career consulting side are so caught up with understanding the job hunting process and not the hiring process, not the recruiting process. And understanding those will help you from grasping in the dark. Uh, my goal here for the next like 45, 60 minutes, and especially chatting with individuals live, see we have quite a good attendance, um, is to fill every minute with as much content as I can. So you're very right. Starting out with the process, the overview is most important. Um, I also, before we get like fully into the webinar, I encourage everyone to please participate. But to start generally, Kathy is very right, um, we have to understand that depending on who you're interfacing with, that is one of the biggest first bits of information that you should collect. If you're talking to an internal recruiter or an external recruiter, meaning that they're working through an agency, if you're talking directly with a hiring manager, I can tell you I, um, when I was recently also job hunting and switching my own career, I picked up the phone as if I was talking to a CEO every time I didn't recognize the number because God forbid, and this is what happened, the CEO calls me and I would have kind of address the conversation as I would with an outsourced agency, for example, which also has developed its own reputation. So always pick up the phone as if you're talking to a CEO that you've already been working with for a couple years. So respect, but also casual, that candor, that partnership, even though you don't know who's actually on the other line. That will save you so much. To um, jump in briefly into the hiring process, we got a lot of questions about what happens to the resume after on your end you click the submit button. And some individuals have mentioned ATSs and an ATS screens. Some individuals have also mentioned like um, just the fact that it's a black hole and what we call the purple squirrel of finding the perfect candidate. Um, there are other terms from the candidate side saying that it's a black hole that they don't know where their resume is going. So uh, lots of information I can cover there. Kathy, where would you like me to start? Yeah, that, that's a good question. <laughs> so um, you gave us a bit of a background on the recruiting process. So maybe we could just break it down a bit more specifically. So if someone, if a recruiter reaches out to somebody on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. um, where could that recruiter have come from? So what's the difference between a recruiter who, say, works directly for a company 
or versus a recruiter that works for a recruitment agency? Are their motivations different? Um, how can we distinguish between them and should we distinguish between them? Absolutely. Um, internal recruiters are some of the best resources you can have. And I, I have worked a few years as an external recruiter, so the kind of quality and perspective is very different between the two. So I'll run quickly through um, the pros and cons, the benefits, kind of the different perspectives of both. And in this segment, I suppose, I'd like everyone to put themselves in the shoes as if they're the recruiter. That is your job. That is your profession. That is what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. If we're at an agency, which means we're external, that means that we have clients that we're servicing. And again, this is what all the recruiters that you're connecting with are doing. So understanding their perspective will help you leverage that information advantageously. Um, and thank you, Bushan. Also, I'll address on how recruiters find you. Um, for external recruiters, we are trying to hit our metrics, honestly. If we are not making the calls that we're supposed to be, if we're not making the submissions we're supposed to be, we're not making the placements we're supposed to be, and then we're out of a job. So some individuals, um, treat that as a numbers game. If they're very competitive, if they're very salesy, it's the perfect job for them. But that also means that the quality of their job is also going downhill, and that's where recruiting has really gotten the reputation that it does. So a lot of um, clients are trying to pitch their values to their um, the companies that they're supporting by saying that we are the quickest, we are the best, we're the highest quality. But when it comes down to it on a business scale, and this is the most important perspective to have when assessing this challenge, they are trying to make a profit. That is the business sphere. That is extremely different when working with internal recruiters. Now they're part of an already funded department. It's not an outside service that needs to be the best and the head of the cusp. Internal recruiters, their purpose is not to make the placement. It's to find the best people for the company. And that's a bit of a different emphasis. They're more quality oriented, knowing that their success isn't whether or not they can get a candidate to the finish line, in which case their company gets paid, which is an external agency. Their goal is to make such a successful placement that every person that they're bringing onto their team is revolutionary is a catalyst, is something new to the mix, but for that they need to understand their actual teams in the mix. So from that you get two different, completely different perspectives. Another point that I want to address too is that hiring managers, the managers who have a gap on their team and are sometimes adding to their responsibilities 40 hours a week to find that perfect person, they are not hiring specialists. <laughs> so that's where you get a lot of difficult questions that are kind of roundabout, they're not very polished. Um, Hello, Patricia. Uh, so there, you also have to navigate that conversation a little differently. Internal recruiters typically are so swamped with other HR duties that they may or may not be actively sourcing. So this is addressing the question that um, Joanna had, that also Bouchon had, and Jennifer, how does a recruiter originally reach out to you? Internal recruiters typically have such a flood of candidates coming through their ATS system, through their online postings, and typically, most importantly, through their company's job board. A company like Google does not post on Craigslist. <laughs> they have their own company job boards. So on Craigslist, on ZipRecruiter, on Monster, on Indeed for technical positions, you get this flurry of postings from individual business owners, individuals that pay $75 on Craigslist to post something up with the hope of finding the perfect person. But every different platform has different avenues and different types of candidates that we get to as a market research that we're able to run. So there, um, one of two things happens, and this is something that I encourage all of you to take notes on because this influences your job hunting process. We do something called um, active and passive recruiting. 
and also for active and passive candidates. Actively, I'm on Monster. I'm typing in my search strings. I'm finding resumes. I'm calling candidates. That's very active on my part. That requires both hands. Passively, I'm posting up job postings as an external recruiter. And that's important because, again, I'm not working internally with the company as part of the client company. I'm supporting tons of others like Amgen, Genentech, Biomarin, Roche, Johnson & Johnson, Baxter, Biorad, Gilead. These are all clients of mine, but I work separately from them. So I'm posting a job posting as something maybe general for regulatory affairs or for something within QC. And I'm collecting a pool of candidates that are able to work at whatever specified location they had. In the meantime, all I did was take two minutes to post that job posting. Now they're passively coming in. What is absolutely pertinent for all of you is that you can do the same thing with your job hunting. There is actively searching, which means that you're going onto the job boards, you're looking up the different positions, you're seeing whether or not you're a good fit, which again, there are different areas where you could be, where you could not be, or um, you're posting your resume somewhere. And that's the equivalent of me posting a job. And now recruiters, as we're running our active searching, see how it balances well one off the other, as we're actively searching, now your resume shows up on Monster, for example, or on ZipRecruiter as an individual with the exact three to five years of regulatory affairs experience that I've been looking for um, with exactly the types of INDs, NDAs, BLAs, any kind of documents, whether it's writing or just coordinating. These are things that I look up in my search string. And the most important thing, I see where you're located and I see how recently you updated your profile. This tells me how actively you're searching. So for all of you that have not posted your resume somewhere, post it. <laughs> For all of you who have posted them three or four months ago, get into the habit of reposting it every two weeks. Because on my side, as a recruiter, and this is unanimous across all recruiters that are searching out there, one of the biggest criteria I look for is how recently did you update your profile? Because if you updated it a week ago, I'm pretty confident that you're still searching. If you updated it two months ago, then chances are you might already find a job. But we all know what it feels like to be job hunting for two months, and then you get that wave of individuals that want you to sell insurance for their company at first, and then towards the end of it, towards like one month, two months, those calls start trickling downwards, and that is why. The more active you are in maintaining your passive side, the more you're going to consistently see people coming to you, supplemented with the active searching, though. Internal recruiters mainly leverage their job boards, and mainly if their company does, already has a good reputation, like Genentech, like, um, excuse me, Biomarin um, and Google, those are the job boards where they already get enough candidates. So hopefully that answers that question and gives a bit of a sense of the yeah. process. That's amazing. That's a ton of great information. And I think it it leads into the next topic quite well because you, you were talking a lot about how recruiters go about finding candidates and the need to be active with whatever profiles you may have online. And most of our associates lean on LinkedIn as kind of building their professional brand and hoping to reach out to recruiters and hiring managers. So when you're looking for somebody on LinkedIn, how do you go about doing it? Do you search for keywords? Are you looking for people based on their specific location, as you mentioned, for job boards? I would say the searching criteria stays um, similar. LinkedIn is one of my 
favorite resources. I cannot understate that. Um, when I was originally trying to just break into the industry, very same boat as, I mean, Isaiah Hankel had shared in his experience that I see a lot of my own candidates and consultants go through. And on the biggest bottom line is you're not alone. This is not a challenge that is exclusive to you. Everybody goes through it, and that just means that everybody has something to learn from it. As a candidate breaking in, I applied 100 times, maybe got two responses, both of which were rejections, which already made me feel good because I knew at least my resume wasn't not sending. It wasn't on my side. It was just the fact that there was something in between that was not a good alignment. Because of LinkedIn and because of a strong profile and because I know what I'm looking for and how I compare to what is necessary to make that step in my career, I went from that 100 to 2 ratio down to, I believe I applied to two positions and I interviewed for five different positions with different companies. And that is the power of LinkedIn. That is the power of professional networking. And that is the ambiguous term that I bet a few of you had shudders with because what is networking? It's literally professional communication. It's building a professional relationship. Um, and I can talk for days on that topic as well. But <laughs> as you develop your LinkedIn profile to mirror your resume, if I get your resume, I'm going to be looking at your LinkedIn profile. And if they're not the same, then I'm going to have questions. <laughs> so right. I'm probably not going to call. Um, if your LinkedIn is polished, and note, um, I have seen some complaints or some comments on LinkedIn from the association, from other resources too, saying like, well, everybody's LinkedIn profiles look identical. That's great. You want your profile to look identical to the people that already have jobs. Make sense? So put in the time. Um, polish it up. Everyone's going to have a skills section. Everyone's going to have a job experience section. And that honestly is the same for resumes. But on resumes, you have a blank slate as opposed to a software that is already predetermined for that purpose. So that's where a lot of other aesthetic mistakes come in or organizing mistakes come in. LinkedIn is a phenomenal resource. If you really are dedicated to making a particular move for your career, so you're East Coast and you're going West Coast or vice versa, Midwest going out to the coast or trying to get more inland, doesn't matter. If you really are dedicated to a position and say you are in Kentucky and you want to get to California, put California as your address and pack your bags before you start submitting your resume. Really shift your energy and shift your focus to the point that you are so driven as just a matter of whenever the job lands on your lap because you're doing everything that you need to. If you have hesitations about the move, if you are not yet packed, and I say that jokingly, but I, I shared to Kathy a story where exactly that happened. One of my consultants was trying to make a coast-to-coast -coast move over to the West Coast, and I told him, and I said, I can hence your hesitation. He was confident that he wanted to make the move. So I asked him, I said, have you packed your bags? And he said, no. And I said, pack your bags and then we'll talk. So after he packed his bags, I didn't hear from him for two weeks because he already got a couple offers. That's the power of shifting your energy and your personal life. And I always emphasize you are only as professionally successful as you are both personally and professionally developed. That means that you know the process. You know what you want. You know your point A and you know your point B, where you are and where you're going to. And most importantly, on top of those two milestones, you know how to navigate between one and the other, how to actually take the steps from where you are and where you want to be instead of just focusing on the weight of that dissonance and mm -hmm. feeling I'm not where I want to be and that is this anchor that gets heavier and heavier as you focus on it so um digressed a little bit but <laughs> no that's great to balance yeah no I think that's good because I know lately this has been coming up in the association that people are planning to relocate but they haven't yet and so they hesitate about putting that um relocation 
on their LinkedIn profile. But without doing that, without putting the location on your LinkedIn profile of where you want to be, recruiters aren't just going to be reaching out to you um, for the heck of it <laughs> in hopes that you may be moving to California. So you really want to, to put yourself out there and um, be really specific about what you want and be confident about what you want and be prepared for it as well. So that's all really, really great advice. And I just want to jump on a couple specific questions that we had in the group on resumes and then we can move on to something else. Um, so we had one question that was, what's your criteria for rejecting the resume? Are there certain trends that um, recruiters look for in particular that you're screening for? And thank you, Andrani, for asking that question too. Um, yes and no. The criteria that everybody looks for in a resume is how does this resume relate to what I'm searching for? It's never what potential does this person have to fit in my company. We're looking for something specific. We want people to see our potential as a candidate, but I have a gap on my team and I may or may not have time to train this person. So depending on where I am and how flexible I am, um, that determines the level of experience I need and what I need to really find those specific matches and the purple squirrel, so to speak. So um, for the kind of tying this into the different uh, individuals that we work with. So external recruiters, companies like Robert Half and Premier Source, um, Bayside Solutions, those agencies grab almost anyone that applies for initial screening conversation. So there, if you apply to an agency, they will screen you and then you never hear back is kind of the, the general experience, which is unfortunate. But what happens is they screen you, they get a sense of what you're looking for, and then they kind of log you under a particular file of if a job that matches this person comes out, we contact these people because they're actively looking for something like this. So depending on how you present yourself and how flexible, how negotiable, how strong you are in delivering your qualifications and what your point B is, what you are looking for, that is the kind of um, opportunity that you're going to get. The more you share to the recruiter on the different avenues saying, hey, I can specialize in this department, that department, that department. Medical writing and regulatory affairs sometimes goes hand in hand. You never know. Um, but if you don't share one, they're not going to look for that. They're not going to assume that you have it. So when I reject a resume, it means it's not quite what I'm looking for or maybe their objective um, or their professional summary is something that I prefer to see over an objective. Maybe their professional summary says, hey, I'm looking to be part of a driven and dynamic team in a growing company and collaborative environment, and I need someone to work solo on a routine basis in a bench at the bench at Genentech. It could be a job that you would love to have, but it's not a growing company. It's not a dynamic and collaborative team because you're working alone as an individual contributor in the laboratory, but it's still a job you're interested in. So that's where I tell people, really understand your point B. Forget that weird resume language. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. Everybody has become fluent in it, and it is the most ambiguous and mind-wrenching thing for me to read because I can have a wonderful professional summary with no concrete information by the end of which I don't know if it's a scientist or a host at a restaurant. I, I don't get the information. That is your sales pitch. Um, depending on the quality of that sales pitch, I know whether or not a person looked at my job description. And that is something yeah. I'm able to gain insight into. So, um, what and that's something we that's talk about a lot in the association too. Sorry to interrupt, but the, just the fact that you have to study, memorize the job description and use those keywords, but at the same time, you have to build credibility by building on those, on those keywords and adding experiences and results that relate to what you have done. So it's not just a slew of keywords that mean nothing, but they tell a story about your professional experience and how that aligns and targets to the job. Mm 
And that's mm -hmm. also where things like informational interviews come in handy because then you can hear from the employee itself what the position is like, what's the day-to-day -day like, and then that's how you can formulate your resume accordingly. Yeah. Absolutely agree with those points, but a quick grain of salt to add to that is that I hate job descriptions. <laughs> they are more often than not templated. Um, they almost never reflect exactly what the manager is looking for. There is a reason, and, and the question that, and again, another major milestone that I want to hit in this webinar for everyone is not what, but why. It's not what you're doing, it's why you're doing it. I, I can have two people that are perfectly qualified, and I would have to go by the quantitative side, like who has more experience. But if I have one person that has slightly less experience but understands why they're doing it, that's a qualifying factor. That is the difference between a job position that is looking for zero to two years of experience, and you wonder why are they even asking for zero if a person comes up with two years of experience, they're going to get the job. That is not the case. Um, if I am looking for zero to two years of experience, that means I, as a manager, have the capacity to train someone on the hard skills, but I'm possibly looking for a personality. I'm looking for something that cannot be replaced by two years of experience. So that means the professional and the personal development. If you don't have the professional development or the professional skills for it, you are interpersonally the kind of person that I would invest into. But how do you land that kind of interview with just a resume with no professional work experience on it? And that is the professional summary. It's bridging the gap for the manager and saying, no, I'm not a marketing intern that applied to a data analysis position on accident. This is what I love doing. So at that point, we start to see more beyond just the professional experience. But again, you don't want your resume to be completely subjective. So we are very good at gaining insight into a person's lifestyle <laughs> by their resume. Seeing um, the whole timeline of your professional life is one of our biggest tools. So we will see. I can tell um, whether or not an individual is on an OPT visa based on just their resume. That means that most likely the usual template of that kind of profile is they started at a different country. They came over for a master's program, and now their master's program is winding down in Cambridge, for example. So I know they're on OPT, I know they're on the East Coast, and I know they're applying to something scientific that I have on the West Coast. I can probably tell if they're on OPT by the end of the conversation if they say, oh, by the way, something I need to mention is I know what they're about to say. I already know when I called. But a lot of recruiters already foresee that and don't call because they don't know how long that OPT is going to be for. They don't know how quickly the individual can relocate. So that is called an unanswered question. The more unanswered questions you have in your resume, it just means it's not something that you did. It's something that you didn't yet do. It's information you haven't yet put there. The more unanswered questions we have about your profile, the less likely we are to set up a phone screen just to waste our time and realize that there's nothing we can do if you're working corp to corp or on 1099. There's a chance my opportunities can't do that. So I'm not going to waste the time with the conversation there. Um, if you're working remotely, that's a very good point. Again, that's an unanswered question. That's something that I'm going to need to know from your professional summary before I even call you. So there's nothing wrong with having additional information in your professional summary that will help an individual know how well you line up, not just the job and qualifications, you're welcome, Laura, um, but also in how easily they're going to be able to onboard you. There will always be a preference for a candidate that is right next door and does not need sponsorship over a candidate that needs sponsorship and is ready to relocate, even without the stipend. So Robert, to address that for you, um, make them even more confident than you are that you're ready to relocate. And that's why I say, pack your bags. 
if working remotely is a necessity for you, then write that because, again, managers are going to be wasting their time. So if they need someone on site and you're applying and implying that you can work on site, go through the whole interview process, and then how do you present that question, right? So um, jotting down to the next question really quick. Um, I think we had a question about graphical resumes and how you felt about that or more modern style of resumes or CVs. Um, I will have to regress to my other favorite comment on this. If a manager declines your resume based off of its aesthetic value, whether or not it's graphic or um, text, if it uses Times New Roman, which is the default, and not Cambria, if that is the grounds for their declining your profile and your qualifications and your academic background, you do not want to work for that manager anyway. <laughs> Trust <laughs> me. So um, loosen up. Loosen up on the font. Don't use wingdings. <laughs> but, uh, just uh, making sure you don't run with my advice too far. Um, but, but Nina told us we could. <laughs> Nina said she could. Um, exactly. But at the same time, I mean, within moderation, uh, we're still professional here. So with the profile, I would say it has to have major components. We can run through the resume real quick. Um, I need to know your name. I need to know your number. I need to know your email. Um, I do not need to know your full address. You can tell me the, the town and the state, but the only time, and I say this very slowly, the only time I will need your full address is for the purpose of onboarding. Same goes for references. Please protect your own information. Please protect the information of your previous coworkers, associates, bosses, managers, CEOs, um, academic professionals. Save that for later than the submission process. I, again, same thing with um, for the references. Oh, I love that the questions are ticking in. Um, the same thing as for the references. I will not be calling your references before I call you. So there's no reason for those to be on your submission. Um, leave them for later. Say references available upon request. Um, I would say, yes, Jennifer, you can put the city you hope to work in on your resume, but again, address it, saying, um, I don't want you to lie and say that I've already moved to San Francisco when I'm in the process of moving. So say I'm in the process of moving. The fact that you've packed your bags means that you're in the process of moving. <laughs> So it doesn't mean you already have a place. It doesn't mean you're already in the truck taking a conversation on the way there. Um, it means that you're in the process. If a person says, like, the, the here's where we get into the gray area of legal or illegal questions. They cannot ask you where you live. Um, they That's not a qualifying factor. But they can say, um, how soon would you be able to start the job? How many weeks notice do you need? And that means in your mind, you not only know, hey, two weeks, three weeks, because, again, you want to be as competitive as a candidate that lives down the street. That is always the goal. So that means that you are ready to answer that question without hesitation. You can say, oh, just two weeks notice for my current job and then to get over to California or however you want to phrase it. But the more hesitant you are and the more questions you have in your subconscious about how do I move my stuff, how do I do this, how do I do that, how do I find an apartment, is the quality of life okay, that, guess what, that's going to influence your compensation answer too. What are you looking for this year? What's the salary expectation that you have? You won't know because you don't know um, what the living costs are. You haven't done your research. So again, know what is going to be going there. If you're Great. as blessed as Jennifer, then you don't have to answer the chicken and the egg question because you already have a timeline by which you're moving. So now, guess what? You get to press even harder on the submission process. So um, 
Yeah, that's great. Relocation expenses. Thank you, Pooja. Um, that's a question. Some companies, if, I mean, it's the same question as H-1B sponsorship. If they can't find anyone for cheaper or local, they will budget a relocation stipend. Chances are, if you're one of the flock of individuals that are trying to break into the industry, they may or may not pay for your relocation because, again, they might find someone closer that's not going to require that cost. So you got to see, where is it a limit for you? Not everyone can be flexible and some people will need a relocation stipend to move. So figure out what your minimum is to make it work. Be as compatible with the managers as possible and then you'll see them trying to meet you halfway too. But always go into it with excitement, with genuineness, with curiosity and then you become a future co-worker, not an interviewee. It's all in how you approach it. Um, are there any other questions that we're missing to address from the chat? I think I'm going to move on because I, I do want to address this kind of elephant in the room when it comes to recruiters um, mm -hmm. before we, we get off topic. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> and and that's the question, and I and noticed that you mentioned it briefly, of salary expectations. Mm -hmm. And we get this question a lot. It's someone's first phone conversation with a recruiter, and all of a sudden they're asking them either how much did they make previously, or how much are they expecting to make, which coming from academia, obviously salaries aren't amazing. So they don't want to have to mention their salary and then all of a sudden anger themselves very low for job prospects. Thank you for joining us for another Industry Careers for PhDs podcast. If you're interested in attending one of these interviews live, or if you're interested in getting access to the full interview, including all of the background materials and show notes, Go to cheekyscientist.com backslash association and learn how to become a associate. Um, you can get on the wait list for the next association enrollment period there and learn full details about the program. It's a program specifically designed to help PhDs transition uh, into top industry positions. If you would like to see receive more of these interview highlights uh, via our podcast, uh, sent directly to your email, go to cheekyscientist.com and email subscribe under where it says start here. If you haven't already, you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Um, until next week, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.